church, take a seat. Thank you, sir. And would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, we thank you, Lord. You are good and holy. There is no one like you, Father. And we just want to come this morning. We want to worship you. We want to be filled and encouraged, Lord. We want to be just connected to your presence and your goodness in our lives. Father, as we look forward uh, to the church that you're calling us to be, Father, I pray you'd provide for our every need, and I pray, Father, we could band together as a church and do something beautiful that glorifies your name. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, it's good to be with you today, church. I don't know what happened to that 70 degrees, just was like a minute ago, but here we are. Um, but glad you're here, and I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who came out for campus night, and uh, big thank you for that. Um, it's going to be that kind of morning. That was pretty, pretty weak clap right there. There we go. Um, but we do just want to thank so much all our volunteers who week after week, Sunday after Sunday, just serve, whether it's with our kids, in the tech, leading music, whatever, leading a life group. Um, I am so thankful for all the great volunteers of this church. So thank you for all that you do. Um, we love you and appreciate you. And today we're continuing our sermon series called The Time Is Now, and we've been looking at, at the future of where God's calling us as a church. We've been talking about the, the new campus that we want to build. Um, yes, amen. Thanks, man. Somebody's got to help me out today. Um, and today uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to really talk about the heart behind it. And, and this week I read a book called Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. And I love books that, that stretch me and make me, you know, think differently. And Richard Rohr is a Franciscan monk. So he's a little bit different than me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a monk. Uh, but anyway, but it, he, so he has a really unique perspective. And in the book, he said this. I love this quote. He said, we grow spiritually much more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. Did you hear that? You like this guy yet? We grow spiritually much more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. Now, I know for all of us, or many of us, that's kind of a weird way to think about it because you think, well, isn't religion about doing it all right? You know, isn't that sometimes like people's hesitation to come to church? Like, I, I haven't done it right enough, you know, or, or I need to do it right more <laughs> or, or whatever. But, but what we know, if you've been following Christ for some time, it's actually not about what you do right. It's about connecting to Christ in our brokenness, in our inability, in our failure, and letting Christ work in us in ways that only he can. We grow spiritually much more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. That might just be the central message of how spiritual growth happens, yet nothing in us wants to believe it. It's a hard thing to accept in the human soul because it's contrary to, to so much of our life experience, so much of, of how we think God and the world works. But yet, as we begin to understand it, I believe it is freeing, it is powerful, and it is compelling. And I want to talk today about a, a woman in the scripture that we're going to see that she didn't always do it right in life, but all that she did wrong became this powerful catalyst in her devotion and love to Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at this story. It's uh, Mark chapter 14. This is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And I'm going to begin at verse 3. Mark 
14, verse 3. Here's how it goes. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany, now Bethany is just kind of this, this small town about two miles from Jerusalem. So Jesus was working his way towards Jerusalem, but uh, he stopped there. They had a sheets, and so he was able to, to, to get some, some lunch. He was at, while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. Now that's kind of an unfortunate nickname. You know, don't, if you realize kind of the, the wrong nicknames usually stick, you know, it's like the, the good ones don't, but the wrong, and this is somehow he got connected. In the ancient world, if you were, had leprosy, you know, you were excommunicated from community, from the church, from everything. So this is a very serious thing, but either he had maybe had a skin condition and got better, or maybe they were just ragging on him, who knows, but he became known as Simon the leper. And as he was reclining at table, so in the ancient world, when they would eat, they would just kind of, they would lay down and eat. Why did we ever stop doing that? <laughs> Amen? You, you, oh, come on. You can fit way more food that way, right? Anyway, see, we think the world's progressed so much. It hasn't. They laid down and ate. Anyway, um, a woman came. So as they're eating, a woman comes, and she has an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Now, this is just a really, really expensive perfume. Now, nard, this would have probably come from India or maybe the Himalayas, and they're two miles outside Jerusalem, so this came a long way, right? And people are walking that, you know, or they got a donkey. It's not getting there quickly or easily. So this would have probably most likely been a family heirloom, and it's probably safe to say that this was this woman's most expensive item that she owned. Uh, it would have been close to a year's wage for this thing. So this is incredibly costly. Mark says very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus' head. This beautiful, costly perfume. She breaks it and she pours it over Jesus' head while they're eating. So a little bit of an awkward thing here, right? A little bit of a scenes being created. I don't know if you've had anyone pour cologne on you at Pizza Hut, but it's kind of that, that vibe going there. But there were, and, and so the people watching, there were some who said to themselves indignantly. So, so the, many of the people around this, they see it, and here's their first reaction. They are indignant. They are really angry. And they say, why was the ointment wasted like that? Right, like what's, What's going on here? Why, why would she do that? What a waste. Because they knew how expensive this was. They knew that this was kind of an irrational thing to do. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense. They said, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. She could have done something way more functional with this. Give it to charity if you're just going to waste it like that. And look at this. And they scolded her. If you've never been scolded by a religious person, you haven't lived life. <laughs> there, there's religious people can scold in a way no one else can. Amen? Can I get, yeah. And so, and so she got one of those talking tos. Uh, she, she was scolded by them. But then look at this. But Jesus said, then Je they're scolded. I, I hope in heaven we can replay stuff, you know? Because there's so many scenes in the Gospels, I want to see what it was like. Because here they are, all self-righteous, scolding her. And then at some point, Jesus gets up and he says, leave her alone. And I just have to imagine everyone was terrified in that moment. 
Because if Jesus sets you straight, man, that, that can't be that pleasant of an experience. You with me on this? Like, you're going to listen to this guy. And in fact, in the original language, this is a command, right? Jesus isn't saying, oh, would you please just let the poor lay? No. Leave her alone! You know, something like that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe too much. But it's a command. He's, he's telling them exactly what to do. Why do you trouble her? Look at this. For she has done a beautiful thing. She has done a beautiful work. If you have a Bible, underline that phrase. She has done a beautiful work to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And look at this. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about this woman, right? It's fulfilled right here. Northeast Ohio. It's happened in Bethany. It's a big gap and a big gap of time, and, and we're talking about her. Jesus' words have been fulfilled. Now, in this passage, I want to talk about a couple things, three things. I want to talk about the worst, because in this passage, you see the worst of religion here. You see the worst of it. You also see the best of it. And then I want to talk about the greater gift of Christ. So the worst, the best, and the greater gift. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's talk about the worst. Let's talk about what I don't like in this scene and, and, and what I'm guessing you probably don't like in this scene either. Because sometimes the ugliness of religion can be very ugly. The ugliness of, of religious people can be very ugly. We see some of that here. And, and here's what, what I don't like. Number one, the people that were eating with Jesus that got mad at this woman, they mistaked, and we can do this too, they mistaked proximity to Jesus for devotion and understanding of Jesus. Did you hear that, church? They, they mistake that because they were in the same room with him. They assumed that meant they understood him. They assumed that it meant that they were devoted to him. Now, here's why that's important for us. You can go to church your whole life. It doesn't mean you really know Christ. You with me on that? You can grow up in church. Your family can love church and know church. It doesn't mean you know Christ and are devoted to him, but you can tell yourself it does. You with me on this? And one of the dangers that we always have to recognize is that our relationship with God has got to become real to us as individuals. It's not good enough that my wife or husband knows Christ. I have to know him. It's not good enough that my parents knew him. I have to know him. And I have to know what it means to follow him. And one of my, the big things that's on my heart for our church in this season is I want you to have a deeply meaningful personal relationship with Christ, and I want you to have a meaningful relationship with the scriptures. See, sometimes as Christians, we get a relationship with services, and look, I'm pro-service. You will not find anyone that loves service. I'll do as many as you want to, all right? I, I love all that. I, I'm for that. But you know what? If, you, if your only exposure through the week is this, is me talking about this, you are not going to have the meaningful relationship with God that you're meant to. Because you need a relationship with this. 
You need a relationship. And, and I get it. You're like, well, Chad, I've never done it. That's okay. That's okay. We'll help you. Give you all, you know, the, the coaching and encouragement that you need. But until I learn to hear the voice of God and understand the purpose of God through engaging with the scriptures in my own life, it's going to really, really be hard to grow past a certain point. You with me on this? And these guys, they were like, well, Jesus is in my house. I guess I, 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 I know him. I understand him. But yet, we see in this passage they did not understand him at all, did they? They were close to him. They're in the same room, but it doesn't mean they understood him. So that's the first thing. Here's the other thing that I don't like. It's very easy to critique other people's devotion to God. It's very easy to do that. But in the Gospels, it never goes anywhere good. It's very easy to look at other people and to say, what is she doing? That could have been given to the poor. Who let this crazy woman in here, right? Very easy to do that kind of thing. But do you notice it doesn't end well for them? Because here's, here's, here's what I love about Christianity. Christianity always says, look 85 times harder at yourself than you do at anyone else. Look, look a million times at yourself in your own brokenness before you really start to get overly concerned with the brokenness of others. You remember the Sermon on the Mount, actually at the beginning of this year, where Jesus said, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. Right? If, if that's not a warning for each and every one of us, I don't know what is. You say, before you think you got everyone else figured out, there's this big old log breaking everything around you, and I would recommend dealing with that first. You with me on this? But critique in others is a lot easier. Here's another part of that. We are completely inept at spiritual judgment. Just, just think about this. They scold this woman. Jesus says she's done a beautiful work. They are so off, aren't they? Right? They're looking at this, and they, they think it's so bad that they need to yell at her about it. Jesus looks at it and says, this is so good, it needs remembered forever. Do you see how bad their judgment is? Like, they're, they are so off. Jesus is like, this action needs remembered forever. And they're like, how dare you do that? Don't you ever. They're so bad. And that's why, as far as the Christ, we really need to just stay out of that game of spiritual judgment. Because as bad as they are at it, so are each and every one of us. When I was a young kid, I, took a, I had a music class, and they made everyone sing, and I tried to sing. It was so bad, I've never done music again. It's like just, it's just, I just need to, there's just some things you need to stay away from. Now, I am going to become a drummer one day, Chris. Through Chris's prayers and blessings and anointing. Um, but, but, you know, singing just so bad, just don't even do it. And this is kind of spiritual judgment here, too. We're so bad at it, don't even do it. Don't even go on there. It's not going to go well. And then here's the last thing. And here's what, what can so easily happen in our life and other people's lives. Is we mistake our brokenness as an obstruction to Jesus instead of the pathway to him. We mistake our brokenness as an obstruction to God, as a, a wall between us and God instead of the path that is meant to bring us to him. 
Now, if you read this same account, because Luke has the same account, Luke chapter 7, Luke talks about that way more. Luke talks, she's, she's known in that passage as the sinful woman. How'd you like that reputation, right? So I, obviously there, there's some, some things in her life, you know, that people aren't really excited about. And, and Luke, in Luke, Jesus says, those who are forgiven much, love much. And so what, what Luke shows is that because of this woman's past, because of this woman's brokenness, and her experience of Jesus, her worship is ten times more radical than anyone in that room. So do you see how they're connected? Her brokenness doesn't actually become something that keeps her from Jesus. It became the thing that made her want to worship Jesus in this bold and audacious and sacrificial way. Our brokenness, it's not an obstruction to God. It's the pathway to God. It's why we need God in the first place. It's why we will always need God. Here's another Richard Rohr quote for you. Ready? He says, once you see that your sin and your gift are two sides of the same coin, you can never forget it. There's a connection between her sin and her worship, isn't there? And Luke, there is. Those who are forgiven much, love much. You know, our passion to worship God goes up the more that we face, honestly, our brokenness. And we see a God who forgives, a God who accepts, a God who doesn't cast us away, a God who doesn't shame us. Like the more you come to, see sometimes the reason our worship of God is so weak and anemic is because we've never actually confronted our own brokenness honestly. We've just looked at it in a very rose-colored way. But when you look at it in the real way, and then you look at the love of God and the heart of God, that's what creates deep devotion in our lives. You with me on this, church? And so when Christians think, man, we're, we got it all together and we're all these great people, like, no, we're, we're, our passion for God is never going to be where it's at. Realize, hey, we're, we're, we're broken people, but we are perfectly loved in that place by this great God. And it changes everything. So that, that's the worst. But now let's talk about the best in this. Because there's something beautiful in this passage. And just let's talk about this beautiful work that Jesus talks about. He says this thing that she's done, it is a beautiful work. And what makes it beautiful? Well, number one, it was a willing work. No one made her do this, right? In fact, if she told anybody, they probably were like, uh, I don't know that that's such a good idea, right? Because it's a little weird. You know, you know the people in the party are going to be like, what's going on? And if her reputation was a sinful woman, then she would probably know. She's not the most welcome person at that place. But yet, all of that aside, she's like, I still want to do it. It was willing. And can I tell you today, God does not want your unwilling service. Like, he, he doesn't want it. And I just want to, I think this is an encouragement. Don't serve God here unless you're willing, you know? If, if, don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it out of shame. That's not a beautiful work. Don't do it because you, you feel like you have to and you'll look bad if you don't. No, do it willingly. Because that's what honors God. 
You know, as we're talking about this pledge campaign, I don't want anyone to give to this unwillingly or out of manipulation or out of a sense of guilt. If you believe in this project, then give to it. If you want to be, if, if you do it from a willing heart, then that's great. But don't do it from an unwilling heart. You with me on this? And sometimes maybe we got to nurture our hearts to get them to a place of willingness. But, but God is glorified by a willing heart. Secondly, this act was sacrificial. Here's what I love. Just think about this for a moment. This woman did not give Jesus the bare minimum. What did she do instead? She gave him her very best. Right? We can safely assume this is her very best. And she said, here you go, Christ. Let me honor you with it. And if we're not careful as far as of Christ, we get into this mindset that, that God is only, the only thing that we'll give him is the leftovers. The leftovers of our time, the leftovers of our energy, the, the leftovers of what we have. But I think a beautiful work is when we say, what is the best that I can give God? What is the best you have to offer to Christ? I know in your heart you believe he's worth it. I know in your heart you believe he deserves it. But sometimes in our own minds, in our own experience, we, we, we just settle for giving God so much less. And here this woman, yeah, she sacrificed that. But do you think that was a waste? Do you think that was a waste? Do you think she looks today and hears us talk about her? I don't know if you can hear things in heaven or whatnot, huh? you know. That could be good or bad, but, <laughs> but I don't think that this moment was a waste. I think the people in the room were wrong. You with me? She gave her best. Thirdly, it was an act of worship. This woman was willing to be misunderstood and rejected in pursuit of Jesus. How many times have we held ourselves back from worshiping or serving or honoring Jesus out of fear of what other people think. I mean, just think about, again, going into this room, anointing Jesus, kind of going into a hostile environment. Like, you're facing a lot of social pressure. Like, you, you know, she just probably had to know, like, all right, they're not going to get it. They're not going to give me the benefit of the doubt. If she's known in town as a sinful woman and she shows up, they're not going to be like, oh, you know what, maybe we totally misunderstood her and should, you know. No, like, it's going to be kind of ugly, and it was, but she didn't care. And how many times have, have we just cared too much about what other people thought and not given God the obedience, the worship, the honor that he deserves? How many times in our hearts have we just, we've actually been serving the opinions of people rather than the glory of God. It's a common, common pitfall, church. And here's what's so beautiful. This woman doesn't give a rip. She doesn't care. And I want to be like that. How about you? I want to be like, you know what? You all can think I'm stupid. You can think I'm crazy. You can think I'm weird. But you know what? Christ is that precious to me. Christ is that good. Christ is worthy of this. And I don't care if you get it or not, because that's not what is driving my worship. You with me on this? 
And that woman shows us the way. And then lastly, this lived beyond her life. Notice Jesus says, the poor you will always have with me, uh, with you, but I will not always be with you. Because soon after this, Jesus was going to the cross. He was going to die. He's going to be resurrected, and then he was going to ascend. Now, here's what this woman knew. She knew this is the time. This is the time. She had a window of opportunity, and she went for it. She knew, man, I, this, is, this is coming to a close. This is my moment. And she seized it. And that act lived beyond her. And I believe we're in a special moment as a church, and I want to seize it like her. I want to say, let's, let's go for it. Let's be on offense. Let's build the future today as a church. Let's do a beautiful work for Jesus Christ. Let's do a work that glorifies his name, not just today, but can glorify his name beyond each and every one of us. And this woman does this beautiful work. Now, Jesus also does some beautiful things in this passage. Can I just remind you, he protects her, he receives her, he forgives her, and he honors her. Now, here's what I find fascinating about that. I think many times, as Christians, we go in the exact opposite order of all this. Here's what I mean. Many times, as Christians, we want to challenge everybody. People who we don't understand, people who are different than us, we want to say, ah, we want to be like the people in the room. Ah, what are they doing? And then number two, if they are open to it, we'll call them to to change, to forgiveness, then we'll receive them, then we'll protect them. But Jesus protects this woman, number one. And you can see that as a pattern in Jesus' ministry. There's a woman caught in adultery. And he doesn't walk up to her and say, you know, lady, uh, you probably shouldn't have been caught in adultery. Uh, he, he, do, he doesn't scold her. Do you, do you know what he does in that passage, John 8? He stops the whole scene. He protects her. They're trying to shame her. He protects her. That's the first thing. Then he receives her. He opens his heart to her. Then he forgives her. And then he says, hey, and go and sin no more. That's the last one. And I just wonder, as far as a Christ, that, that's such a great model for relating to the world around us. We should be in the protection of people business, number one. Christians should, should be known as those who stand up for others and not others who believe the same way we do or live the way we think they should live. Or talk the way we should talk, right? Our first instinct should be protection. Then acceptance. Then forgiveness. Then connect them to the presence and love of Christ. And then challenge. But so often we start with challenge. Anybody with me on this? I thought that was good stuff, but you all look bored with it. So, so we'll move on. But let's talk about the one last thing, the greater gift. Now, Jesus says that this, this was anointing for his burial. That's how he received it. I don't think the woman necessarily saw it that way. I don't know that she put that all together of how Jesus' life was going to unfold in this moment. But Jesus said, hey, she is preparing me. This is part of preparing for the gift that I'm going to bring 
to the whole world. See, she gave Christ a gift, but that gift ended up becoming part of the greater gift that Christ offers to each and every one of us. This woman, she lavished Jesus with love. But the gift that Jesus would bring in his death, in his resurrection, in your life and my life, is a lavish of infinitely more love. His gift is even greater than this woman. This woman, she sacrificed a lot of money for this. Right? Mark, Luke, they all say, this was expensive stuff. But can I tell you, Jesus' gift to you, he sacrificed more than money. He sacrificed his very life. This woman endured the disapproval of others. Jesus endured the shame of the cross. Greater gift. This woman's gift was misunderstood. But can we be honest today? Jesus' life and death continues to be misunderstood. For 2,000 years it's been misunderstood. But it didn't stop him. It didn't make him hold back. This woman's gift was willing for someone that loved her. She knew Jesus loved her. That's what initiated the whole gift. Jesus' gift to us, to this world, is for people who don't love him. We love him because he first loves us, church. The gift of Christ, it doesn't begin with your love. It begins with his love for you. That his act isn't motivated because he knows you're going to, uh, you, you know, because you're just asking for it. He did it when you and I weren't asking for it and didn't know we need it. His gift is greater. And so I think the more that we understand the greater gift of Christ in our own lives, the more this woman's action makes sense. The more this woman's actions make sense. And church, here's what I want to do. This is how I see this project before us. I see it just as an opportunity to do a beautiful work for Christ. I see it as an opportunity just to do something beautiful for Christ. And if you see it that way, then be part of it. Help us get there. Serve, pledge, do all those things. Help us get there. If you see it, because have you ever noticed, you, you can always find a community to get you in trouble. Like it's not that hard, right? You can always find people that will, you know, pull you down and people that will encourage what's worst in you. Like, here's this scene in this room and everybody sort of gangs up on this girl. You know, many were saying they were probably fueling each other. They were scolding her. But, but this woman's action, this beautiful act, she did it alone. She did it alone. There's no community behind her. Because so oftentimes it's hard to find community to do what is right. It's always easy to find a community to do what is wrong. And I want to be a community that has the same heart as this woman. That says, man, Christ is beautiful. He's beautiful. He deserves our best. We're going to willingly sacrifice. We're going to willingly serve. We're going to willingly try to honor him. And, And we're going to share his heart and his message and his life with the world that desperately needs it. Don't you think if more people knew the Christ of Mark 14, they would give him a chance in their life? Don't you think if, if more people knew the Christ of Luke 7, they would think differently about church and God and all of that? And church, that is why we are here. We are here to be part of that. We can't, we're not all of God's plan, but we are part of God's plan. 
and I want to do it well. And I want to give Christ something that is beautiful because he is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for, Lord, your beautiful heart towards each and every one of us. I thank you, Lord, that like all of us, we don't deserve your presence. Like this woman, we don't deserve the honor that you give back to us for serving you. Father, all of us are just imperfect servants at best. But yet, Lord, you say, when our hearts are in a certain place, the work that we do for you is beautiful and good. Father, I pray, Lord, that we could just do a beautiful work that glorifies your name. Father, in the coming years as a church, I could pray we could do the beautiful work of just sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with countless numbers of people and helping them to see your heart for them and the reality of who you are. I pray, Lord, that we could do a beautiful work of just building a new facility together that can glorify your name for decades to come. I pray we could do a beautiful work, Lord, of just serving our community and loving them to Christ, meeting need. I pray we could do a beautiful work of just shaping a new generation that knows you and loves you and building a church that they love and they can grow in. Help us in all of this, Lord, and may it glorify your good name. In Jesus' name, amen.